Well, good to see you guys. Good to see you all have survived the hurricane and doing great. <laughs> we, uh, we're on our last week of our summer session, and it uh, feels like summer again almost, at least in here. I don't know, that sun sets down on us, and just by the end of the day it gets hot, but we've been able to make it through the whole summer, thank the Lord. And uh, we had a couple of weeks left, so we're just kind of doing some different kind of things to kind of tie this whole up. And like uh, we've said before, every once in a while we've done some biographies of uh, different people. Last week we did uh, uh, what is, who is known as maybe the greatest evangelist uh, besides the Apostle Paul, and that being George Whitfield. And uh, so we look at a, another individual, and not so much as a biography this time as more or less uh, his view, his world view, uh, which is uh, something that should entice us to follow the Lord even more than ever before. Uh, we, uh, we desire to have a God-centered view on everything. Uh, there was a book that came out called A God-Entranced Vision of All Things. And... Um, that was basically dealing with uh, Jonathan Edwards and what he believed. He was um, possibly, as far as America is concerned, one of the greatest pastors, one of the greatest theologians, one of the greatest preachers and philosophers uh, that has ever graced the soil of uh, America. A highly respected man, even by people who are not Christians. Uh, some have written about him and his life, and uh, dare they uh, write very much about his doctrine, uh, for they would not understand if they weren't believers. But he had a God-entranced world view. That means he looked through the glasses of Scripture and everything that he was involved with involved God. Everything. Not, uh, not just some things or on... Sundays or Wednesday nights or what have you, but his whole life was uh, revolved around that. And what is sad, as I have read books about this, is that kind of view is lost, not only today, but it was lost not too long after his life. That kind of preaching and teaching and his view has been sorely lost. Uh, it's a kind of a tragedy. And really, the view that he had was not his own. It's, it's God's. It's God's view as we look at Scripture. But um, he lived all of life for God's glory. Now that to us doesn't sound strange at all. Matter of fact, it sounds almost old hat. But if you were to talk to a lot of Christians today, which you, many of you probably do, you find out that God is not the center of their attention, at least all the time. They have other things that they're interested in besides God, and so therefore they compartmentalize um, their worship on Sundays with the rest of their lives the rest of the week. And uh, that is pretty well par for the course. I was talking to an individual this morning, and he uh, leads a, a, a group of young people, and he has been preaching at that church for a few weeks for the pastor has uh, left, and he's trying to get the people to have a God-centered view, and many of them are very angry at um, 
some of the things that he uses, and it's usually just using the words of Christ, some of the tough statements that he makes. And so therefore, um, they were asking him, you don't expect us to have God in everything, do you? Now, this is pretty well par for the course from the East Coast to the West Coast in our churches today, uh, even though it may seem very distant to us because this is what we talk about all the time, the glory of God. I have probably been inspired by Jonathan Edwards and his thought on the joy uh, of God and glorifying God. Um, Him and John Piper have probably been really instrumental in my thinking on that. Uh, but it's it's rather different than what um, is being presented today. Go through a few scriptures here. We're going to have various scriptures tonight. It's not an expository work as we usually do, but with two weeks there was no way we're probably going to be able to start a book and finish it. <laughs> Everybody knows this one, right? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, that's a simple one. Everybody's heard of that. But it means having God in the center of everything. Every mundane thing that doesn't even seem like it matters, God is, is present in that. Uh, I, I've told you before, I've talked to individuals that uh, were Christians, and they said, where does it say that God has to give all, get all the glory? And isn't that rather kind of unfair for Him always to want to have glory? <laughs> My, all throughout Scripture, how can you miss it? That's what everything is about, isn't it? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That was one of the great truths found in the Reformation. Colossians 3.23 Another verse probably really familiar with. So if somebody were to ask you, where does it say that we're to give glory to God? And whatever you do, Whatever. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. The context there is, uh, for instance, working working for people. But he says, whatever you do, do it un- as unto the Lord. Whether it be your work or whether it be uh, praising God, whether it be just playing some music, whatever. Do it um, heartily. Do it knowing ultimately that it's, it's about God there with you. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus said to him, oh, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Every bit of our lives are to be focused upon loving God. Our heart, our mind, our soul. Every aspect. Romans 14, 23 But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. But here's the one we want. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And I think we could say this, and kind of rewording it, but if if we're not doing it for the glory of God, what would you call it? It's sin. Because he says, do everything for the glory of God. If we're not doing it for the glory of God, then we're doing it for our own pleasure, which we'll be getting into quite frequently tonight, we, uh, which is sin. 
doesn't matter what it is. It might even be a good thing, but it's sin if God uh, and His glory is not involved. Romans 11:36. after making a great statement, and he sums it up with, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. That makes you want to burst out singing, doesn't it? Singing about this great God we have. Of Him, through Him, to Him. All things. Wow. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. He is our life. He is everything. His glory is everything. And so we see that uh, that's what Jonathan Edwards' message was really about. Uh, No matter what doctrine that he's preaching, it was always going to be Christ-exalting. It was going to be a God and transvision. It was going to be God-centered, God-focused, God-intoxicated, and God-entranced. That's what he had his focus on. And he sought to live in constant communion with God every moment of of the day. And if he didn't, he said it was wasting his day. He wrote uh, a treatise on resolutions. And uh, that's whenever he was still in his teens. And uh, that's quite an incredible work. But uh, he resolved uh, everything that he would do would be something that would be focused on, on the Lord. So the whole is of God. In God, to God, God is the beginning, God is the middle, God is the uh, end of all of this affair. He is the whole thing. And so God gave Jonathan Edwards the ability to articulate how important this uh, doctrine of the glory of God is. Probably uh, better than anybody in church history outside of the writers of Scripture who were inspired. Uh, We're putting this up very high, but I I want you to know that God is much higher than we can even ever imagine. And the more that we get to know more about Him, the higher that He will sing. And the more that will happen throughout eternity, it will never stop. We'll continue to see Him higher and higher and higher, bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, The beauty of God is something that Edwards will use uh, much. Uh, the enjoyment of God, to actually enjoy Him. All that created a stir when people like Sam Storms and John Piper started talking about uh, the pleasures of God and then the pleasures of His people uh, that they're to have. They're to take great pleasure in the life that they have in in Christ. And people, uh, of course, he used the word hedonist. Piper did, and he got all sorts of flack from that. A Christian hedonist. But you can see where he was aiming. He got, uh, I guess, uh, inspired in the sense from uh, from Edwards about that that thought. Here's a sample of how he articulated it. Then uh, a couple sentences here. Then we have prayer. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. I'm going to read that again. The enjoyment of God, us enjoying God, is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. Then he stretches it out and says, to go to heaven, to 
fully enjoy God like we do not have the capacity now to go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations we can possibly have here. I did that on Facebook one time, and there was a guy that replied back, and I was pretty good. His name's Kerry. I know Bob knows who he is. Remember Kerry? And he, uh, he almost made it in a laughing statement. He says, uh, understatement. <laughs> it was like, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are. You are certainly a great God. And the reason we meet here is to recognize how awesome You really are. We've only just begun in a journey in our short time that we've been here and as far as eternity is concerned, as we've been here on earth. Some of us have been Christians a long time. Some of us a few years. The only thing is is we've, we've only just started. And we have an eternity to know about You. And that it sounds so much of a joy. There is nothing on earth that can compare to what You not only have given us, but what You will continue to give us. And thank You for uh, the great men uh, of God down through the years, the history of the church and through the history of the Bible that You have given, uh, gifted, for people to be able to read and understand You a little bit better, the the ones who are helpful to us. Uh, They have been teachers to us. And Jonathan Edwards is another one that You have given that uh, I hold in high regard because he was a man who pursued You with everything that he could. And we too want to imitate him as, as he walked, as we see a real human being that uh, pursued the glory of God and uh, the happiness that God intended. And as we do that, may our lives change a little bit more tonight as we are taken by what the Scripture says and how it's been preached by Edwards. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Jonathan Edwards left quite a legacy. We're not worshiping a man, and uh, we we would never do that. He was a sinner, just like, like us. Uh, but we don't, and we definitely don't want to forget to honor God. That's that's what we're here for. It's all about Him, and that's by the end of this, we'll see that that's really what this is about. But we're thanking the Lord for giving the church gifts to certain men to be able to help us understand God a little bit more. And some of these doctrines have been lost or kind of covered up over the course of the years, and some of them. Some people today are able to take those uh, books and wipe the dust off and kind of invite us back into uh, the teaching of during the time of the Puritans, for instance. Edwards was probably the last of the Puritans. Their age was pretty well done by around the 1600s, kind of carried in a little bit into the 1700s, but Edwards preached what the Puritans preached uh, as a whole. He said that useful men are some of the greatest blessings of a people. He wasn't talking about himself. He said, God, who has used so many people, uh, He uses those uh, today for us. And so we we get um, blessings. The greatest blessings of the church sometimes are where men who have glorified God and have helped us increase our understanding and, and happiness in God. So we want to recover we want to embrace this God-centered vision 
of all things. Go to uh, Hebrews 13.7. Remember those who rule over you. Now here he's talking about you know somebody that's that's real close that's that's in the church for instance but this can expand to uh, all throughout different years but who have spoken the word of God to you whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct the ones who lead you the ones who rule over you that speak the word of God you follow them you and if their actions are lining up with a word, who would want a preacher who would say all the great things, but his life would never line up with it? We wouldn't want to follow that, would we? But if somebody's conduct is consistent with what they believe, we can say, yeah, I want to be discipled. I want to watch what he's doing. And so I can be in those same steps, right there with him, right behind him. We want to follow that. And that's what the Hebrew writer is speaking of there. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6 we simply do this because we're thinking, okay, this is, here's, here's Edwards. is kind of a leader of us in a sense as we discover some of these. One six, And you became followers of us and of the Lord. <laughs> and that's what it's about. Having received the Word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. They received the Word and there was affliction involved, but they had joy at the same time with this affliction. Joy of the Holy Spirit. Now that's um, kind of a verse that would go along with what we're talking about tonight. Joy and affliction sound like they are contradictions. They go together. Imitate godly men. So um, it has been said and uh, written for at least from people who have done a lot of research on Edwards. There really were no successors to the worldview that Jonathan Edwards had. Now, that's not to say people didn't come along and, and teach the glory of God and such, because we have many men that did that after that. But as a whole, it disappeared. And it went back to a man-centered gospel. And we've talked about this for years here in this Bible study. We want a God-centered gospel, don't we? But... As a whole, in the body of Christ today, it's a very man-centered gospel that's being offered. It starts with man. It ends with man. It's all about man. God's in there somewhere in the play. Yeah, we, we have to depend on Him. We have to have faith in Him. But here's what I can do to make my life better. So it's about myself. Um, and that is what has developed over the course of all of, all of the church. You can see that. It always wants to go back to a man-centered gospel rather than the grace, Christ-centered gospel. Uh, that's, that's the way that man uh, and his nature uh, fights against something that seems to uh, be offensive. Uh, the evangelical world of today is in that sense. Uh, and uh, What we want is a, a supreme God taking a supreme position in our hearts. And that's really nothing new. That's that's where he should be at. Now, we have a body of doctrines in the church that is the very uh, root 
somebody says it's the very root and it's the very timber. It's the very tree that supports the fruit that comes off of it. There are certain doctrines or, or the story of, of the Bible is this. It starts with God's perfections, His supreme, glorious perfections. Everything should start with God, right? And the moment we start anything and we don't start with God, then we're going to be heading the wrong direction. So we have to start with how great He is. Well, then you look at man and we see how great He is, right? Well, the Bible really doesn't... It shows the fall in nature. In creation, He was created good, but we know there was the fall. So the story has God and then it has the fall of man and then we get to see the great redemptive history, the very story of redemption. And that's pretty well the crux of the matter. And, and as people are redeemed and put in the body of Christ, as we do our mission that God has given us, as we saw in Ephesians 6, we fight the enemy. We fight the flesh. We fight the world. And we definitely fight the devil, don't we? But that is what's going on. That's all part of it. We have conflict. The conflict is always happening. And so when we go into our everyday lives realizing that we have a conflict, we have a turbulence, we have a hurricane going on, <laughs> just when you think it's peaceful, all of a sudden here comes another hurricane. The, but we have something that closes that all up and it's called the blessed hope. We have the hope. We know where this thing is going, how this thing is all tied up. So we go back from creation. We go then to how great God is, obviously, the fall of man, and then pointing to the ultimate consummation of it all. Bart. One side of it, it had sometimes bad things going on, and on the other side, it just had to be a short range of problems. Ah, yeah. So it's a lot, doesn't it? Thanks. Uh, when we think of these glorious doctrines, that's what defines us. You know, what uh, Edwards did is this is the framework from wherever came from anything came from in in his preaching and in his living. Um, what we think of today is how can I be improved socially? How can I be pr- improved economically, financially? How can I have a better marriage? How can I have whatever? Right and even though we would say we hold God in a high view, what are we doing? We are putting ourselves at the center of it all. Me. I. And rather than focusing on the greatness of God and the glory of God, we focus on those. So guess what's missing in the church today? The glory of God. It's missing. It's not there. It's about how much better of a person I can be. We're starting the backward way. Go ahead. Oh, out of uh, uh, Ezekiel? Or, um, uh, where's that out? 
Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's what that means. That's yeah. What, that's what I thought of when you said that glory. The glory of God has departed from this place. His favor, his, his, uh... That's First Samuel, by the way. First Samuel. Um, God's holiness that needs to be preached constantly. God's righteousness needs to be preached constantly. God's sovereignty should be in uh, surrounding everything. I may not use those words every time, but it's going to be apparent that that's part uh, and the, the package. Uh, if that's not the center of the teaching, then we have really uh, a man-centered gospel. He's a majestic, holy God who is supreme. And uh, that's why we say it. We, we can't let that disappear. If you read Edwards, you'll get a breath of fresh air and somebody said it's like going to the Himalayas and taking in that fresh air that they have there. (laughs) Uh, We'd be refreshed. So breathe in God-entranced air as you think about uh, this great God. Turn to Psalm 46, verse 10. You'll get a very familiar verse there that I'm sure everybody has heard many times. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Edwards did a message on be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be quiet. Know. That seems so simple. Everybody would say, sure, yeah, what's the big deal about that? Be still and know that I'm God. I know He's God. But when you really think, what does God, what is He made up of? The uh, guy I was talking to this morning, that is, you know, he's he, he was beyond himself the way that people were receiving whenever you talk about the sovereignty of God, and people would get upset, thinking, well, okay, well, why does God have to bring on all this? All the suffering then, if if He's that great of a God, there's no way that He's that sovereign. Or He can't control my life in that area. And so they had questions. He said after He did a message, they quit at uh, something like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at at night, and they were there till 11 o'clock. And I'd say, oh great, they're asking good questions. Yeah, but He said it was in doubt of how great this God is. It was like they were downplaying him because they wanted to have God in the way that they made him to be. They wanted him more comfortable. And when Jesus would say certain things like, hate your father and mother, now we all know the context has to be explained in that, but we know what that means and we'll take the time on that. Or um, you have to forget yourself. Take up the cross, follow me. Those kind of statements they had real difficulty with. He said it, it saddened him, and he said there's pastors just getting uh, bombarded by the people of the church uh, whenever somebody starts talking about the sovereignty of God. They don't want to hear that. They want to talk about something useful that'll make them better people. They don't want to hear about how great God is and the demands that Christ had. They'll take the sweet sayings, but the hard sayings. He says, yeah, but what about this? When Jesus would say this. And uh, they didn't want that. 
Well, whenever he talked about be still and know that I am God, this God who is transcendent, he contemplated this great truth of God being God, who is majestic, who is infinite in His power, He's infinite in His knowledge, and He is the the cause who was never caused. He's always been here, this infinite one. And so when Edwards became still and knew that God is God, his view included an absolute sovereign God who is absolutely self-sufficient, all-sufficient, and He is everything. This is nothing new that we're talking about, is it? Everybody knows this. But what is this all about? He does that to put on display His very glory. Everything that He does. Our duty is to conform to His purpose. And uh, the, the, his purpose in creation and his purpose in redemption. Our duty is to reflect the value of God's glory in our lives so that people can see and experience the great joy that we have because we have an infinite God who is the most amazing person who's ever tapped (laughs) anybody here on this earth. That's a great joy. He makes visible the very glory of God even in our own lives. So the ultimate end of God's works is the glory of God. Right? So if we proclaim this message like we really believe it, then we can advance that right on into the kingdom. uh, Right into the kingdom of God. We're to proclaim that message. And if they understand that it's about the joy of this great God and we can have His joy then the glory is seen and we'll see how those go together. So we have to recover this uh, vision of of Edwards. I, I'm challenging the whole body of Christ all over the world. We have to do that. Died with Edwards. Even after all his glorious preaching and even after all of his wonderful writings he had no disciples. It died with him. That breaks my heart. How are we mm-hmm. supposed to pick it up and, and, and even like you're saying, uh, what you're saying, God is everything and He's all things and He's, yeah, on some level, yeah, I get it, but but isn't that like, you know, you know, like when Paul was saying the whole world is, or like the guys in, in when Paul and the guys were preaching and this guy said the whole world is following this Christ and, and they didn't really mean the whole, whole world, world is upside down but they right. didn't really mean the whole world they just meant so when you say like everything do you really mean like everything or is that just like you know just not everything <laughs> you know what I'm saying so what do you it's think it's hard <laughs> yeah I mean this poor guy that you're talking about and you talk to those people never heard this stuff before that's right I can't even imagine Oh, he's in connection, and he's in connection with other pastors who are believing the same thing, at, just around the area where he's at. And the thing is, they're all encountering the same thing. Because people have never heard this. And we're saying this, and you guys are saying, "Okay, Dennis, come on. We know you talk about this all the time. This is what we already believe." Dennis, you're saying the same thing. Can you say something different here? But even at that, Dennis, you know. 
we're, I'm hearing you, right? And I, I know at some level. How can we do this? I know that. But on the other side, I live life every day, too. And frankly, six in my basement hasn't been about the Lord God, okay? I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, no, you know, I probably really didn't even really think about God's glory. I just want my oh, basement. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You just hit the point there. You just hit a good point. I mean, you got it one place, that, that little holy place you got, but then there's other stuff. Yeah. And, it, and so when you say everything, do you mean like everything? Or just, you know, everything? Everything! <laughs> that, that reminds me. It's hard. You, you made me think of uh, Mary and Martha and Jesus. Right. And how Martha was so preoccupied. Yeah. Particular and Martha was doing good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She was doing honorable things. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if Martha hadn't done that, who would have? Well, you know. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus told Mary she was getting the better for Sure. But it's hard. Well, let's get into this and let's see how we can do this. It, can we do it? Is it possible? Well, you know I'm gonna, what I'm going to say. Absolutely. Right? Now, Augustine and Edwards are probably the two that did the most to make it very clear how important the joy is the very essence of what it means for God to be God. Because God is a joyful God. And He takes pleasure constantly. And for us to glorify God. So Augustine and Edwards really made that very clear. It's not that others didn't, but they really made it a, a big effort to push this forth. Um, Edwards put joy at the center. If we would see joy the way that Edwards saw joy, we would become God-entranced. So now we have the first part of this. As Penny is saying, okay, how can we do this? Well, if we can have the joy that we can take an example. We already said, okay, if we follow certain people, we can kind of get an idea of how we can have um, uh, this walk that they had. Uh, let's, let's follow them, right? Well, God infinitely values His own glory, and He therefore values the image of Him, which is His creation or His creatures, we were made in the image of Him. And we are united with Christ. We are one in Christ, right? Uh, God does not divide His joy where it's a better joy over the joy, His own joy over the joy that He has over His creatures, creation. And us, especially. He takes an infinite pleasure. Infinite pleasure in uh, what is pleasant. God's joy is part of what it means for God to be God. Edwards said in that message, uh, be still and know that I am God. Joy is is an essence there. That's what it means for God to be God. Uh, When we talk about the place of joy in our own lives and, and in the life of God, we are hitting reality. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's at 
in our own lives. It's of extreme importance. It is what it's about. Um, and we'll go on to kind of prove that. Um, that on your outlines, joy is at the heart of us glorifying God. If we really want to glorify God, then the joy has to be at the heart of it. Okay, two things. And I don't want to stump you up here, but if you read Edwards, you'll come across this quite frequently. God knows Himself and His Son. And God is Father. And he delights in Himself by His Holy Spirit. You have the triune God. They're in perfect unity. Okay. God is glorified in Himself in two ways. One thing, He appears... And this is put in a human language, so it's very limited. But He appears to Himself... That means He sees this part of Himself... Uh, in his own perfect idea. Alright? He knows who he is. He's perfectly settled. And he not only appears to himself, but he delights in himself. So he doesn't just know about himself, but he delights in himself. Because he's the most perfect being. He is absolutely perfect. There is nothing perfect outside of God, right? So, anything less, he would be lying. So, he sees himself that way and he delights in it. So now, turn this over now to the creature, which is us. God glorifies himself as far as the whole triune being in these. And then he glorifies himself toward the creature in two ways. He appears to us in our understanding. Then, not only that, not only do we understand Him, but then we are to delight and enjoy God's manifestations. So we delight in what He's given in us. Like if we've read a passage and the light has just turned on, now we're rejoicing in that. I've never seen it that way. This is incredible. What a great God. You can just read something simple as um, God loves you and you go, okay, yeah. You start thinking about that incredible love, what He did and how infinite it is and just start thinking the depth of it. He not only appeared, but... He wants us to take delight now in knowing that. That's where it becomes part of our our lives. So listen, God is glorified not only by His glory being seen, but also by it being rejoiced in. And that's an Edwards quote which I've probably used several times. You might have heard that many times. But you think about that. God is glorified not only by His glory being seen. When we see His glory, wow. But then we rejoice in that glory. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than when they just see it. This is, a, I think, a magnificent discovery. I think it changes everything. So I start with something very simple and very familiar to us all, but it starts getting into some pretty depth here. Uh, Edwards was a thinker, 
He was, I think, the greatest philosopher that this country has ever had. And then when he brings this forth, it's like, oh, something's clicking here, but I have to, I have to grab this. I have to go back and kind of study over this again. Go right ahead. I've been thinking on these for years. I'm trying to grasp it. But it's not just a philosophy. It's something that goes with Scripture. God is glorified by our being satisfied in Him. Now we're getting it down to a level. We're just satisfied in Him. When you are satisfied, you are content. The Bible uses that terminology, right? Remember contentment? That is where God is glorified. God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. I think as Piper says. Uh, We really need to take seriously what it means to have joy in God. And that doesn't always mean we're happy, ha, ha, ha. We know better than that. We know that. We already saw one, and we'll see some more scriptures here in a minute, minute, where it's under terrible afflictions, you still have joy. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's actually a sin not to be satisfied in God. What is that joy that you keep talking about? Is that joy Keep hanging. Keep hanging. It, well, joy is going to take in a feeling, but it's not going to start with the feeling. Uh, it's not going to command everything. Um, and that can, definitely can be there. Uh, a lot of times the feelings will lie to you, though. And um, because when we, when we know truth and we see God's glory in it and we see that He's working something far much better than we could ever imagine... I'm taking joy in this even though I feel the pain right now. And I don't feel like it, but I, I'm thinking another thing though. And, and maybe some of this will help as we, as we go through it. Yes, truth then feelings. I always took uh, fact, faith in that fact, and then feelings. Hey, fact, doctrine, faith, leaving that, and then feelings. What happens if we take this, put it up here? Yeah, because it'll just go anywhere and everywhere. And your feelings will bring up things that happened 30 years ago. <laughs> well, where'd that come from? Huh? Yeah, but if it's based on fact, now you and you should have emotions, should have feelings. God gave them; they're a gift. But if we, just like anything else, if we put them in the wrong place, then they're going to uh, cause all sorts of havoc. What's that? The heart. That's right. The heart is deceitfully wicked. That's right. Sometimes it takes a while for the feelings to catch up with that. Might take a while. So we don't want them to lead us. These guys, like the one quote or the one verse that you read about having joy in the affliction. Are they just? Are they? Are they saying it? Are, are they saying the words? Is that? I, I don't. I'm not following. We're, we're about there. Matter of fact, I'm going to get to these these scriptures here that might help us there. We'll we'll let the Lord kind of help us out there. Uh, one thing I want to stress here: it's a sin not to be content. Is that right? Um, Contentment with godliness is what? Great gain. Satisfaction of God. Our hungering after God cannot be too great. Matter of fact, 
You've heard of sometimes we can do anything with excess. Even the best of things we can do with excess. The thing is, when we take in spiritual food, you cannot do that in excess. Take in physical food, you can. <laughs> uh, there's no such virtue, virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. Can't get enough. Go to Psalm 16.11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. They're infinite. Do you notice this? God is going to show me the path. Now, there's, there's our fact. He has the path. He has it lined up. The only thing is, we as human beings would love to know where that path is going to be at tomorrow. And He doesn't let us look into that. Because we wouldn't want it if we saw it. We wouldn't want to see how we're going to end up in this life. We don't know that. We don't know what's going to happen. We know we have plans, but God's going to direct all those but we don't really have anything certain except for the fact that we know if we're Christians, we're going to be with the Lord. We know that more than we do what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm probably going to be here tomorrow, Lord willing, doing the same thing I usually do. But I don't know. I don't know. What does he say here? You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In God's presence is fullness of joy. He wants to share those pleasures. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those pleasures are something He's sharing with us. What? You mean He wants us to have pleasures? Absolutely. A lot of Christians today would say, Oh, you're bordering. This This is really... you should Christians, I don't know, should have pleasure. A lot of people will... Believe me, I've, I've heard him say that many times. Uh, God meant for us to have great pleasures, eternal pleasures, infinite pleasures forevermore. In His presence is where the joy is at, the fullness of joy. Now, getting to what Kim was talking about. Let's say we have the afflictions or the feelings that we don't like, Okay, which everybody has. God permits afflictions, will bring on afflictions in our lives for us to have more pleasure. And that sounds contradictory. But let's go to Matthew 5.11 and let's look at some Scripture now to support that because that doesn't sound right. Blessed are you or happy are you I like that. <laughs> Is that our calling? <laughs> That's the trumpet. <laughs> Blessed are you when your phone rings. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Blessed are you. And what does he say in verse 12? Rejoice. And what? Be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the same people that persecuted the prophets. They persecuted Jesus. They persecuted the apostles. Persecuted the church fathers. Persecuted the reformers. 
upon and on. Still happens. What does he say though? Blessed are you. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. That's along with something that seems like the worst thing that could ever happen. But a reward is in heaven. That's a fact. I want you to take note. Be glad. Because this is for God's glory and to His sake. And our finite, sinful flesh cannot understand that. Now let's let's support it with some more scripture. That's just one. Well, that happened to be what Jesus said. <laughs> That's a sermon on the matter. Matter of fact, if you were to do the whole Sermon on the Mount, which we could take months on, blessed are the poor in spirit. Sounds like it's backwards, doesn't it? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Right? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Happy are, joyful are. That's right. James, um, the brother of our Lord, half brother said something that was very similar to what his half-brother said in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing fact and, and, and also believing knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. We're in the tree. You have the tree growing up. You have all these great grand doctrines. And then we are the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. We're the branches extending out. And on the branches you have leaves or fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience. We can have trials because they will produce what? Patience. It doesn't it isn't anything that you can work up in your own lives. I can be patient. I can just grit this out. <laughs> That's a fake patience. A true patience is somebody who's gone through tests and he's endured. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. If we don't have the test, then we're going to lack a lot of things. One of them is patience. So God's working patience in us when we're doing some things that we hate to go through. Acts chapter 5. Now, now we're getting into something that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to the, the old nature. Do you see why people that have the old nature that are sitting in the churches and when somebody preaches this kind of message that they start getting mad and angry. They get angry at the preacher, get angry at God. Uh, but what what is God doing? It's, it's, it's for the good. Acts 5.41 So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing, why? That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. There was a trial there for the apostles that they had to go through. But do you see what happened? They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to be able to do this for the sake of Jesus. Wow. Hebrews 10.34. You know, these are joyful words, aren't they? Hebrews, Hebrews 10.34. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods 
knowing this is where the having the facts and the faith here that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. You know that plundering? That word literally means to have unjust seizure. They were they were getting stuff taken from them. Might have been by their their own citizens, their own the leaders of the places where they lived. But anyway, they came in and took their stuff, took their belongings. Some of them lost everything. That was unjust. And look at it. Look at this. It's amazing. They joyfully accepted it. They knew there was something better. There's possessions that are for real that will not burn up reserved in heaven. Wow. Joyful. This is, this is the kind of joy we're talking about. 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, he started it. He ends it. <laughs> he completes it. Who for the what joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God the joy that was set before him. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse ten. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So we can have sorrow in our lives, we can have grief, we can have all sorts of things that people have no idea we even go through. Or you can tell them, but they're still not going to understand and grasp. You're going through some really tough things. And yet, at the same time, even through that sorrow, we still rejoice. Only in Christ can one say these things that seem so drastically opposite from each other. So God permits afflictions in our lives so that we would have joy or pleasure. This is really where it's aiming at. In the meantime, you can have some really good fun too. <laughs> you can enjoy life and really you know, be laughing and stuff. Matter of fact, most of the time it's pretty well that way. You know, kind of normal or, or whatever. But sometimes we go through some heavy things. What about the pursuit of happiness? Well, the goal of Edwards and his preaching was to raise the affection of his hearers as much as possible. He wanted them to have affections. There was a book that he wrote called Religious Affections. I was ashamed today when somebody called up and asked if we had the works, the complete works of John Owen. You know what I had to say? No, I don't. You know what the next question was? He said, well, do you have the complete works of Jonathan Edwards? You know what I had to say? You would think me, of all people, would have that. But I had to say no. He said he called back later and said, Do you have religious affections? I go, No, I got it at home. <laughs> I said, Hey, we're doing a deal on Jonathan Edwards tonight. <laughs> I was thinking, What are you doing to me? <laughs> I felt bad because I didn't have those books. The thing is, is... 
the affection, the religious affections. When he said religious, we, we say religious today, and it sounds bad, bad connotation. It shouldn't be. But we're talking Christian, Christian affections, affections for God. We should have our affections on fire. Our emotions. There's where our emotions come in there, Kim. Our emotions should be so on fire because of the biblical truth and the uh, the aspect of of the teaching and the truth that is here in Scripture is the very goal of what Edwards was after, that they would have affections that would make them move to make their walk even closer with the Lord than they ever had before. Um, Listen to this. The pursuit of pleasure in God, the pursuit of pleasure in God is the only power that can defeat the lusts of the age. That produces lovers of God. See, we have a, a tremendous amount. Uh, when we say lust, we usually think of sexual lust. But the, this, these lusts, these desires can be anything. Some of them can even be good, but they're, they're not in the right place. And they can be really bad, really raunchy bad. But the thing is, what does he say here? If we pursue pleasure in God, that is the antidote to what is coming up against us constantly. What the world is offering. You know Benjamin Franklin... He had a phrase that we're all familiar with, and a lot of people use that, the pursuit of happiness. Remember that? I think it's in one of our great writings, isn't it, in in America? I kind of like that, at least to have the right to pursue happiness. But And Ben Franklin was along the same time as Jonathan Edwards. And so as he coined that, Edwards didn't, agree with that. Edwards spoke of a God-centeredness, a God-happiness by depending on God, not self. And really, that idea of pursuit of happiness is your own self pursuing that. Well, you'll pursue it and pursue it and you'll never find it unless you're looking for it in God. Now, we know that. Simple. But yet, it sounds so cool. Matthew 10.39 We're near the end here. 10.39 He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We don't have to pursue the happiness. We really pursue the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things be added to you. So, if you lose your life, you'll find it. That's one of the hard statements that Jesus said among many of those. Benjamin Franklin also said this, God helps those Benjamin Franklin, we know, wasn't a Christian. He was a deist. Edwards spoke of man as being helpless, standing before God empty-handed. Totally contrasted. That sounds so wise. And people say, that's in the Bible. I know it's there. And you say, well, where's it at? Can you show it to me? I'd like to see that. Well, I know it's in there somewhere. You've had those discussions with people. came from uh, Benjamin Franklin. Edwards defined happiness differently. And... uh, he achieved that happiness through Christ. Uh, if we take our pleasures 
that we have of the world and get our minds off of those and start putting the pleasures, uh, at least focusing on Christ, then we're in the right direction. Well, was God's goal in His creation His own glory as Reformed theology teaches? Or is it man's happiness as Arminians, the deists, think? Uh, that is really what Reformed theology ultimately is about. It's about the sovereignty of God and really it's about the glory of God and its highway. Now, every Christian will say they, they desire the glory of God. But they don't put God up as so high as He can control everything. He can control everything in my life. He controls it all. Now, defined, what is glory? Well, in the Old Testament, the word kabod is is weight. It's greatness. That's how we got that ichabod, right? <laughs> kabod. Kabod is a gl- weight, greatness, abundance. It's dealing with glory. And the, then the opposite of glory is that, you know, He's left. Uh, but that's God in His fullness. In the, in the Greek, you'll get the word doxa. Think of doxology. That's, that's honor. Uh, it's resulting from a, a good opinion. We hold uh, a good opinion. We hold honor to God. We give Him glory, doxa. It, to God, it's, it's something that's internal. It's inherent. It is Him. Um, this belongs to Him. Uh, it's an exhibition of His internal joy, this glory. What Edwards did, as we kind of conclude this off here, is about done. Take that intrinsic, internal glory that God has. It consists of His knowledge. Plus His holiness. Plus His joy. And out of all of that, His glory flows out from Him, just like water does from a fountain. There's His glory just flowing right out and it goes right into creation and it goes into redemption. And both are prompted to praise Him because of His knowledge, because of His holiness, because of His joy. And all of that flows out and then all of creation is there to praise God. That's what He created us for. So we reach our highest enjoyment of God when we glorify Him, when we glorify Him supremely. When that's, we're giving every ounce of our energy, this is how you start not only having the joy factually, but also inwardly and outwardly. We can even rejoice. I, I can't think of a better display then when God's people come together to worship Him, when we sing praises, when we pray to Him, when we say out loud things that are pleasing to Him, when the Word is preached, when you have communion, and then you have prayer and intercessory prayer, and it's all involving God and everything because He's at the center of this attention. And that's the best place where we can actually experience the glory of God whenever we multiply this. And so this is how we supremely enjoy Him. We enjoy Him the most when we glorify Him the most. And the more we're glorifying Him, and when we're glorifying Him, when we're going through things that we don't like, that's very uncomfortable, and we're still glorifying Him and saying, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I don't like it, but I want to tell you, You are a great God. 
You are holy. You are awesome. Everything You're doing, I know it's in Your plan. I don't understand it. Make me have a better attitude even more where I can glorify You even more. If we can get that kind of plane, that's where everybody can have that same view that Edwards has. The divine glory uh, that has been spilled out on us. Did you know that in heaven there will be no limit to the joy there? We will increase and will ever keep increasing in the knowledge of who He is. We'll know more and more. It'll take an eternity. And the more joy that we have, we'll have even more and more and more as we'll be able, as we will, we'll have the capacity to glorify Him there like we can't here. Uh, we don't have much capacity here to do it the way that we like. The Christianity of our time, here's what it's about. The Christianity wants to make our feelings better. The Christianity of our time wants to make our attitudes better. The Christianity of our time wants to make our struggles uh, less rather than focusing on God's gifts, His calling, His works, the way that He works with humans. That's what Edward's agenda was. That's what he preached. Because he was theo or theocentric, God-centered, rather than what about me? All of that comes along. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. You don't have to worry about these things. You're worrying? Guess what we're doing? We're sinning. Hate to admit that. There I am. I admit it. I'm a sinner. Do. Rather than anthropocentric. Anthro is man. Man-centered. That's where we're at in the church today. Intellectual instead of sentimental is what Edwards was was not led by the sentiments. Doxological rather than psychological, God gets the glory rather than my own psyche, my own glory. Today is interested in the here and the now. Your best life now makes us feel better, doesn't it? Boy, what a downhill slide we have been on for hundreds of years. First Timothy four seven, we close with this one. I promise. What seems so hard at first trying to get what Edwards was about, has it become a little more understandable? First Timothy four seven. But reject profane old wise fables. But here's where we are right here. Exercise yourself toward godliness. He preached about godliness. Not only about holiness of God, but then also, okay, this comes down to our brass tacks, down to the very walking it. The goal is godliness. If we're reading our Bible, we're studying our Bible, that's where it starts. If we're in prayer, are you doing those things? If we have our private worship, we have worship with God's people, have we been in solitude? Uh, even fasting, uh, stewardship, all of those things. Those are called disciplines. And Edwards got into the disciplines. We don't have time to go into that tonight. I didn't think we would. But all of those things really are where it's at as far as living it out. We've seen the doctrine. Now we take those things and put it into application. Is God at the center when we read the Bible? Is God at the center when we're in prayer? When we're in worship? Well, I would tend to think He probably is. 
when we're in solitude, just thinking Edwards would get out into the woods and see God's great creation, he couldn't help but start thinking high thoughts of God when he saw his creation. He speaks through creation, but more specifically through revelation. We need both. Thank you, Lord. Here's what we want to end up with with these two questions. Do we acknowledge the same God Edwards has? I think so. Do we understand Christianity as Edwards did? I think so. We want to understand it more, but um, so it's really it's kind of something new. That's really something old, and it's really all scriptural. But most of this stuff is foreign to people. It could be very offensive to people. What we've just heard, if you accept God's word, is I know this stuff. This is not foreign at all. Maybe the way that he worded it was rather significant, but I think it. Um, hopefully, this will be very helpful to us all. And we will have a vacation to end our summer session next week, Labor Day. We will not be here. And uh, Lord willing, I say that even more lately. That the following week we'll start a new study, and we'll be in the early chapters of Genesis. We'll start in chapter one, and we'll see if we can take God's in uh, enhanced or uh, view that we can have here the. Uh, God-centered view of uh, the beginning the foundations. Thank you guys for the summer session that we've had and being able to study uh, Ephesians. Let's stand and let's have a word with the Lord. And if I could ask Elden there to close us tonight.